family. I'm Chad Bogleman, and this is episode number 11 of Lantern Cast Presents Green Lantern, Green Arrow. That's right, we are back after, ooh, I don't know, a couple months maybe? And we are talking about uh, some more Green Lantern, Green Arrow goodness from Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams from the 1970s. Uh, this time around, we are talking about Green Lantern number 82 slash Green Lantern co-star in Green Arrow number 82. This one is entitled uh, on the cover, The Harpies Are Coming, and the main title within the comic issue itself is How Do You Fight a Nightmare? Uh, we have story by Denny O'Neill, art by Neil Adams and Dick Diordano, and editing by, of course, the incomparable Julie Schwartz. The cover, slightly different <laughs> from the uh, other covers of, in the series so far features ollie and hal and of course their superhero uh, uh alter egos uh running away from a group of flying harpies as in the myth- mythological creatures they look like uh gray-haired ladies uh with wings and talons uh so or just giant hawks uh, with uh, with female faces and tops, uh, I I don't know how to describe it to you. Now, other than the fact that these are mythical creatures attacking, uh, and it's more of a on the nose, uh, kitschy superhero type cover as opposed to the stuff we've been seeing so far in this series. Uh, another reason this is sort of unique is the fact that there's so much white space, unused white space on this cover, so it sort of jumps out to you. Uh, so there's that. Now, well, before we get into the actual story story itself, uh, I do want to, you know, just, you know, give you a couple factoids, random factoids here. Uh, of course, the the penciler and the inker for the cover was Neil Adams, uh, with uh, colors by Jack Adler. So that's interesting. In addition to that, you have the information on the publishing history or, or publishing of this particular comic issue. Uh, Green Lantern uh, number 82 had a cover date of February slash March of 1971, but thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for this information, the actual on-sale date was December 24th of 1970. Uh, So one of the very last, uh, the very last issue of Green Lantern to come out for 1970. The cover price was uh, 15 cents, and of course we got 32 pages of information in here. It was reprinted a bunch of times in various hardcovers and droid paperbacks. Uh, also, as in, in the DC special Blue Ribbon Digest, number 16. Uh, that was in, I believe, 1981. So there's that. Now, going forward, of course, uh, just go ahead and give some information on what is actually happening in the story. Because we are dealing with uh, supernatural stuff, harpies. So what is the deal? Because this story is... Yes and no, socially relevant, mostly no, uh, but partly, partly so. It's going to be a little bit of a briefer recap, briefer episode overall, um, due to just sort of what's going on. Now, but let me just let me just go ahead and and, and get in, do the whole recap first, and then we'll 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 talk. And I'll and I'll kind of sort of do I'll explain why. 
So we open up with Oliver Queen in his Green Arrow garb knocking on the door to Dinah Lance's place. The narration box says, The disease that is loneliness has but a single cure. And so a green-clad archer comes to a cottage on an empty street in a small Midwestern town this melancholy melancholy autumn evening. Uh, So she opens the door, he comes in, he says, You know, I know you asked for some space, but uh, I was just in the neighborhood and I happen to have that box of roses. And she says, Well... You're a fine archer, but a terrible liar. So she opens it up and boom, out comes the harpies, or two rather harpies. They attack. Oliver shoots off a smoke arrow with tear gas, uh, and the harpies use their wings to beat it back into the faces of Dinah and uh, Green Arrow. Uh, Green Arrow grabs her by, uh, grabs Dinah by the arm and leads her out of the building and leads her out of the cottage. Which she protests uh, this whole time. Um, you know, things like, you know, do you have any other bright ideas? Let me go. I'll decide where I'm going and when. She calls him dumb for using gas in a tiny room. And uh, while they're arguing, Ollie looks back inside and sees that the harpies are gone and the roses are sitting on the floor. He says, I don't know what's going on, but we do know somebody who's used to the strange. So... Uh, we cut over to a hotel room in the western quarter of the United States where Hal Jordan, in his uh, his uh, hotel room, gets a telegram. He says, uh, from the arrow, a call for help. Surely it's not Hal Jordan he's expecting to respond, but Green Lantern. Interesting, by the way, just leaping in here. The thought bubble says, from the arrow, a call for help. Surely it's not Hal Jordan he's expecting to Repond. It's supposed to be respond, but they left out the S. Uh, so, as much as I love Julie Schwartz, sorry, buddy. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, uh, Hal grabs his ring, recites his oath, fully charges, and heads off to go find Ollie. And well, as he's flying through the air, he encounters these two harpies. Uh, he's got a feeling that it has to deal with why uh, Arrow called him out with a telegram, so he says, I'm just going to follow them for a little while. So he does, follows him back into this building. Uh, He goes in, he suspects it's a trap, but he goes in slowly. And all of a sudden, the Witch Queen makes herself known. Uh, And, you know, he feels that there's something familiar about her, and he's about to attack her. But her little scepter is growing with yellow light. And of course, at this point in Green Lantern history, Green Lantern is powerless against things that are yellow. Well, she uses the scepter and sucks Green Lantern in to the gem on the end of her scepter. And he's stuck there. She says, Thus you are imprisoned as my brother wished as he planned. Look upon him and see the architect of your doom. And then we see a shadowy figure say, we meet again, old friend. And Hal, in, trapped within the gym, can see out and goes, you! Uh, later on, we see, uh, in, a, in, in another area, we see uh, Dinah and Ollie waiting on Hal, knowing that he should have showed up hours ago. Uh, so they sort of they try to figure to, to take things into their own ha- hands. Ollie suggests going back to the shop where he got the blossoms, the flowers, uh, notices a gem inside of the box he says i'm gonna go see a certain clerk she says you know i'll i'll come with you as soon as i change clothes and of course that means she changes into her black canary gear so black canary and green arrow head off on a bike down to the shop where ollie picked up the flowers 
they noticed that the lights are still on, and they said, you know, any ordinary shop would be closed at this time of night. It's after 10, uh, and they look inside, and all of a sudden, uh, Oliver gets punched from behind into the glass uh, window of the shop uh, by three uh, shadowy figures. Uh, one of them is, looks like they're wielding an, uh, an axe, and they're about to swing at Dinah. When one of the others say, spare the woman, our sister, and slay the man. And the other says, it will be done. And then Dinah says, no, don't touch him, don't dare. Uh, and the woman, one of the women says, his sister, is, the sister is his benefactor. That concerns us not, do as you have been commanded. She says, Dinah says, I don't know who you are, what you want. I can only see you are cowards trying to harm a defenseless man. You'll have me to deal with first. And they say, the sister protests. Perhaps the small uh, small chastisement will soften her tone. I will not. I will take care not to hurt her. A mere token punishment should suffice. She says, don't bet on it, Missy. Uh, it's worth it to note that these women are, I want to say, Dinah is probably, I don't know, 5'10", something like that. These women are at least two feet taller than her and wearing, it looks like, Roman gear. Um, and you know, with their wording, you can kind of tell who already, if you're a DC fan, kind of who these women are. Well, Dinah summarily whips the tar out of these women, uh, in a nice sort of collage panel of, you know, judo and all kinds of stuff. So this is the black canary, fragile, delicate, and as fierce as a tigress. None who ever lived can match her skill at ancient fighting arts. She moves with the grace of a ballet dancer and the darting swiftness of a hummingbird. And now, in these moments of silent struggle, her prowess is greater than ever, for she is fired with a will to protect one she cherishes. And abruptly, it is finished. They're like, her combat ability is awesome! And the other uh, woman says, I concede. She says, be our ally. Help us avenge the ageless wrongs. We plead you. We entreat you. Join us Such with one such as you fighting beside us. Victory would be assured. She says, wrongs, what are you talking about? And this woman says, men, sister, we beseech your aid in the name of the witch queen. Lend your ability to our cause. Righting the wrongs, males have worked upon us low these many centuries. And Dinah says, maybe you better begin at the beginning. And this woman says, it was in a time before your history began to be recorded. We were a mighty sisterhood dedicated to aiding man in the struggle against hostile uh, elements. There were the winged ones, the harpies of your legends, and we trained for battle your Amazons and our most splendid high priestess. A far-famed wizard besought our priestess's hand in wedlock before the assembled group. And before the assembly, she scorned him and the haughtiness of her laughter seemed to wither his very soul but great was his cunning and learning in the dark craft for years she he strove to prepare a banishing spell he called us together on a pretext and when we were grouped he worked his spell now this whole page of backstory i just gave you starting with uh the flashback this is inked by bernie wrightson this one page is inked by Bernie Wrightson. Uh, this is notable because this is not Bernie's first published work, but it is his first published superhero work. Um, so, And it's very, very fitting that Bernie, uh, with his style, inked Neil's pencils for this sort of monster-ish, horror-ish, mythological-ish 
the flashback sequence. So this that's why that's one of the reasons this 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 story is uh, is of note. Um, I would have talked about that later, but it you know because I'm already talking about it, it seemed apropos. Well. She continues her story and she says, And we fell, fell, fell to another plane of being never to return. But Dinah says, But you did return. You're here. She says, Only momentarily the witch queen reached from this world to ours and gave us these mystic jewels. With them we can protect our, project ourselves to your world for a few hours. She says, Why? To make all men pay for the crime of the wizard. And then Ollie wakes up and says, Sounds like a doubtful program to me. He says he's just got a headache. He says, I don't know whether to believe any of this, but I, and I really don't care. The thing is, we should find the so-called witch queen if she exists. They say, you know, how like you to doubt, you know, you will lead you to the queen. Then we cut back to the witch queen and her brother. He says, I shall never forget the look on his face. I shall relish it to my dying day. And we see a little more of his face. We see a mustache and a smile. Uh, a thin mustache and it says i do not fully comprehend the details of your scheme brother he says i could not find my enemy but his friends were easy enough to find so i seized the opportunity to place an amazon within the flower shop when he directed himself there knowing that when the harpies appeared the arrow flinger would summon my enemy and she says and how do you happen to discover the nether plane in which you imprisoned him and we see a little bit more of him he's got arched eyebrows a receding hairline a got frame and pointed ears. And it says, by sheer chance, uh, by sheer accident, I will not bore you with the details. And she says, it was not chance that caused you to put your weapon within my scepter to give the appearance of sorcery. He says, no, that was cleverness. I accounted it on my, on my foe's bewilderment. And she says, perhaps you'd best take it back. And all of a sudden, Green Arrow comes bursting in. And uh, that's when... We see pink hands reach out, remove the gem from the Witch Queen's scepter to reveal a yellow ring. And he's, the, this figure says off panel, I have it, my ring, his shafts are nothing against it. Green Arrow says, think not? Okay, we'll see. So these pink fingers go and grab this yellow ring. And the narration box says, no eye can follow Green Arrow's hand as it reaches into his quiver, selects an arrow and touch and by touch and fits it to bowstring there is the twang of the string but before any hears that sound the shaft is already speeding towards the target and we see the arrow go through the ring take it out of the hands of this individual and pin it to the wall behind him and we see sinestro uh oliver gives a smashing uppercut to sinestro and knocks him onto the ground and it looks like sinestro is out and we're talking one punch kind of out. Uh, this fantastic uppercut that Ollie delivers to Sinestro. So the Witch Queen comes up behind him and is about to tap him, you know, smash him in the back of the head with her scepter. And then that's when Dinah enters the scene and flips the, the Witch Queen face down into the floor. And now they all uh, are kind of, uh, the, the Amazons join them and start sort of interrogating Sinestro. And they all say that they're going to go into the to the this other realm where the uh, where the 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 queen is. And she says, you know, she says, could could I go there? Could could I maybe lead him out? She's talking about how she she needs to go into the gem to rescue Green Lantern. Uh, and the Amazon says, if you returned with us, yes. 
And Ollie says, hold on, I'm not going to let you rest. She says, I must. Don't you see our friend needs help? Sure, but what makes you think these Amazons will give you an assist after you humiliated them? And she says, we understand we were duped by yet another man. We will not. We will aid our sister gladly. We begin our journey across the Nameless Void to nowhere. And the Amazons and Dinah go into the gym. And Ollie is left behind outside. Hal is inside the gym and his he can feel his mind being pulled apart he's attacked by harpies he cannot defend himself so they pick him up and bring him before the queen their leader she says you stand accused of being like he who banished us he says i don't understand nor need you you all you need only die my pets will attend to you man for i am medusa so this is medusa Yes, that Medusa of myth with the snake heads and all that stuff. is Medusa is their queen. He says, wait, I can't believe this is happening. The snakes on her head attack Hal. They don't seem to bite him, but they seem to ensnare him and pull him towards her. Uh, someone yells stop, and that's Dinah. She's fighting for him. She says, you're being used. Used to someone else's uh, grievance. And the Amazon say, it's the truth. We were duped this day. I swear it, mighty priestess. If you free... You want to free yourselves, regain your dignity. Is, isn't that so? Well, mindless slaughter isn't the way to do it. It would forever stain our honor as women to slay, as women to slay man at the, be, at the bidding of man. I implore you, please release him. And Medusa says, you do not lie, sister. I know this, and, I, and so I heed you. My pets return to the nest, but understand I will not tolerate male presence in my domain. So Dinah and uh, Hal leave the gym. Uh, Ollie says, you made it. Give the, give the story. I had the local police collect Sinestro and his female helper. As soon as they left, the joint vanished, which is the place that Sinestro and his supposed sister were staying. And when they tell Ollie the tale, he says, ask me, the whole thing was unreal, as phony as the discotheque. Uh, Sinestro's little game. I don't believe in other dimensions, Medusa's, Amazon's, for Pete's sake. And Hal says, you weren't there. If you had been, you'd believe. Oh, how you believe. And then narration box says, right on. End. So that's the story. Now, maybe that was a little longer than I actually had intended, but whatever. So, we all know that the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams portion, at least, of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series was tackling fairly significant social issues of the time and or current events. This one... Not really so much. It was and it wasn't. It's tackling feminism. I'm a dude. I'm a 28-year-old male living in the modern era. I have been single for five or six years, and the only reason I mention that is because that means I haven't had a significant, constant female in my life over the past few years helping me to, you know, see her side of things. So... But regardless, I'm a single 28-year-old male in the modern era. I find myself incapable of commenting on the issues of feminism. When I think about feminism and try and research it for the 1970s, I get nothing real specific to 1970-1971. So this is, you know, this came out December 25th of 1970. That's the actual on-sale date. Uh, but was cover dated for February, March of 1971. So when I try to do a search of feminism for that specific date, that specific sort of 
you know, because I try to allow for the time it would have taken for Denny to write the script and for Neil to, um, for Neil to uh, do the pencils and all that stuff and get, get everything done. I, I sort of allow for the entire year of 1970. Now, obviously, feminism was a big, you know, and, and you know, a women's, women's rights and all this other stuff was a big deal in the 1960s and 70s and 80s, and it's, it's always really been a big deal. Uh, as far as a specific instance, I couldn't really give anything. That's why I think this episode is going to be a little shorter than usual, is because... One, I feel unqualified to speak on the issues of feminism. And two, I couldn't find anything in particular. Uh, sort of, you know, we, we all know historically feminism has, has, has a huge presence in this time period. But specific to the year 1970, I didn't find anything of note, of specific note. That I kind of, you know, everything else I've... I've been able to find really specific, really enlightening stories from the uh, from the times, especially the Native American stuff. Uh, when I was talking about all the stuff that was happening uh, uh, in California and with the uh, with with all of that stuff and the radio stuff that I the, the radio audio I found, this one is a little lacking in specificity. So there's that. Now I bring this up. Because Denny O'Neill has an interesting history with uh, feminists. When Denny O'Neill wrote Wonder Woman, he took away her powers and made her this sort of karate kid, you know, type situation. She was, you know, in bell bottoms and she was an independent woman and blah, blah, blah. But he's, he's on record as saying that he knows he screwed that up. When I was interviewing Denny about the Green Lantern Green Arrow series, uh, we, we did two interviews, uh, one several years ago and one about a couple of years ago, um, about a year or two ago. And um, what had happened was that interview, he said, within Green Lantern Green Arrow, he was proud of every story except one. Now, I really, really, really kicked myself in the head for not doing the follow-up and asking which one. I'm thinking with, Green, with, with Denny's history with feminists and feminism uh, and, uh, and what he did with Wonder Woman, I'm thinking this is the issue that he's not that proud of. And I don't think it's just because it's an issue of feminism. I think it's also because in a series where a lot of the stories are exaggerated, but still relatively grounded, um, all of a sudden Green Lantern Green Arrow goes into a mythological story out of nowhere. And the social issues aren't as on the nose, as obvious as they were in the other issues. To me, to me personally, now you guys can tell me otherwise, but to me personally, I feel like this issue, visually, even with just the cover, visually, thematically, socially, stands apart from the other Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill issues of Green Lantern, Green Arrow. But that's just me. 
another thing of interest is, of course, you know, this is this is this is Neil Adams' art. Again, guys, there's it's Neil Adams in the 1970s. I mean, what do you want from me? I can't, I can't, there's, I, I cannot comment on this to to critique it in any way. Um, it's quintessential. It's amazing. Um, so all I can really talk about is story, and story-wise, uh, well, there was there was one art thing I wanted to bring up. When we see Hal for the first time in the story at the hotel, there's an issue with coloring. There's a lot of yellow in these three panels where we first see Hal. Even his lantern is colored yellow uh, in this thing. He's wearing a yellow jacket. It's it's very very yellow. Um, maybe that's intentional. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm leaning towards it's just a it's it was done for effect without really thinking about it, thinking too much about it because we all know Green Lantern's one weakness is yellow. So why would they color even his lantern yellow? Um, I don't know, and I I'll probably never know. So. It's just worth it's it's just something to think about. As far as the story itself goes, it's not as linear, if that makes any sense. You know, the storytelling is sort of con sort of convoluted, sort of confusing. One of the main things I have a problem with is the fact that this story utilizes Amazons in the DC universe, and there is no mention whatsoever of Wonder Woman or Themyscira or anything having to do with Wonder Woman. They're just Amazons. It has nothing to... Now, these are Amazons that are trapped in another dimension. So maybe it's like a splinter tribe of Amazons? I have no idea. It's really weird, though. But they, they, they kind of make it seem like all Amazons, Harpies, so on and so forth, were banished to this, to this other realm. Okay, well then, what about the Amazons in, quote-unquote, our world? In this DC universe? That's why it's sort of really weird to use the, the Amazon thing. You'd think that they would at least make it a point to say that, like I said, like this is a splinter tribe or something uh, that was separated long, 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 long ago from the Amazons, long before Hippolyta, long before Diana, you know? So I, you know, I don't know. Uh, good choice, by the way, having Bernie Wrightson do the inks on this, on this flashback. It gives it a, it gives it a, a good a good myth mythological feel um you know uh denny is i mean not denny uh neil adams is a great artist in the 1970s um but i feel like maybe a fantasy title while not entirely out of his element like you can't do it it's just he's more used to something else so i feel like choosing to do to have bernie writes in ink these pages you you or this page rather you get a you get the feel you're going for as opposed to having another inker that makes any sense um i will say that as as weird as this is as uh out of left field as this is it's still cool to have a sinestro story in green lantern in the popular green lantern green arrow series you know, he gets taken out pretty easy. Yeah, he traps Hal. Yeah, it's a, you know, whatever. It's it's a one and done, but, you know, Sinestro is a quintessential Green Lantern villain. So having him, you know, 
having him in there somehow is at least worth it. Uh, as far as his sister is concerned, I don't know much about this Witch Queen character. And to be honest with you, I didn't really even research it either. I just... I think when Hal says earlier on that she looks familiar, it's because that, you know, she looks like Sinestro. She's, you know, his family. I'm assuming we'll come back to this character later, but I feel like she's kind of a non-entity. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, Medusa, that's out of left field, but artistically interesting. So that's cool. And Ollie just... At the very end, going like, oh, this is a load of hooey. Come on, dude. Like, he... I, I say this a lot. Like, all these skeptics in these various comic universes. Like, you fight along people who have, you know, rings powered by mythological... I mean, not mythological. High science. You have an alien on your team in the form of a Kryptonian and John Jones. You have an Atlantean on your team. You have an Amazon from Themyscira on your team. Like, I'm sh you've run into Dr. Fate before. Like, how can you really be skeptical when you are living in the DC Universe? Let alone, how can you be skeptical when you're a hero working with other heroes in the DC Universe? You've seen some shit, Ollie. You know this shit is real. So don't give me the whole skeptic angle. So that was sort of weird. I, I just feel like you don't need to have Ollie sit there and go, ah, ask me, this whole thing is, is unreal, as phony as the discotheque. It's a little game. I don't believe in other dimensions or Medusas or Amazons. You can have him go say more of, you know, that's not up my alley. You know, I'm just a dude with a bow and arrow. You, you, there's really no point to having Ollie go, oh, I don't believe in all this. I just It just makes him look uh, ignorant or naive or I don't know. That's a nitpick. So there's that. Now, I said last time that uh, I was, you know, sort of going away from the, um, the usage of, of the, uh, you know, comparing it to the comics code. Now, in this particular one, of course, there's there's really again, there's not a lot there. I don't I don't want to stretch the definitions uh, as 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 you know deeply as I have in the past. But I figured you know it was at least worth a glance, and I I did find at least one thing in uh, General Standards Part A of the original Comics Code. Now, it's it's important to remember. Uh, here that the comics code was originally published in 1954 was not revised for the first time until January 28, 1971. One month later, one month after the on actual on sale date of this issue. Okay, so the original comics code is still in effect. Okay, now so from general standards part A. Section 5, criminals shall not be presented so as to be rendered glamorous or to occupy a position which creates the desire for emulation. Now, the second part of that I, is, isn't really act, uh, 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 applicable. So, the first part, criminals shall not be presented so as to be rendered glamorous. Interesting. Would you consider 
before you get to to know anything, you know, it, it, glamorous is subjective. Okay. Now I'm not saying the witch queen is a gorgeous woman or anything like that, but she's not necessarily presented to be in a, a an ugly, hideous woman. She sort of comes out in a, a sheer gown and. She can see her legs, and she's wearing heels, and and all of this stuff. And then you see, of course, the harpies. You know, the harpies are definitely not glamorous. But what about the Amazons? Uh, you know, they're 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 big women. They're strong women. They're tall women. Um, they're fighters. They're covered in armor. But if you look on page, I believe it's 12, down at the bottom where you get a close-up of one of the Amazon's face, her lips are really pretty, her eyes are really pretty, she's got a great face, um, and would you consider the Amazons, you know, criminals at this particular point in the storyline? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, what about their priestess, uh, Medusa, before she takes off the the her her helmet would you consider her glamorous probably not um but you know it, it's it's again this is this is maybe a little stretching but it it seemed applicable enough to mention it uh so there's that the only other one i could find that might maybe be applicable is there is a uh, general standards part b section five Scenes dealing with or instruments associated with Walking Dead, torture, vampires, and vampirism, ghouls, cannibalism, and werewolfism are prohibited. And it says all elements or techniques not specifically mentioned herein. This is this part's in, in General Standards Part C. Uh, all elements or techniques not specifically mentioned herein, but which are contrary to the spirit and intent of the code are considered violations of good taste or decency shall be prohibited. What about the harpies? Probably not. But again, it was it was at least worth a mention. You figure that out in your own, own head if you think it could be uh, uh, applicable. The rest of it, I don't I don't really see any any issues. But it's worth a thought. So I just I just wanted to bring it up. Uh, you know, because we are getting you know one month away from the first change to the comics code. So there's that. Now, I don't have any feedback for this episode, at least none that I could see. So if I'm missing something, please, 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 please write in and let me know. I do apologize. So we are going to go ahead and close out this episode with the letters column from the original issue itself. So Green Lantern's Mail Shoot from Green Lantern number 82. Uh, we've got... Uh, a Let's see, we got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six letters here. So, and they all uh, are referring to uh, issue number 79, the Ulysses Star uh, uh, issue of Green Lantern, Green Arrow. The first letter, Dear Editor, Although Green Lantern number 79 was the fourth issue of the new GL, I still got a strange feeling deep within me. A feeling I do not usually get from a comic magazine. The words on the last page, quote, have vowed to find America to learn why this land of the free has become the land of the fearful, unquote, seemed to reflect a deepness of thought not found in other magazines. 
Ulysses Star is still alive, got quickly underway. The situation was presented effectively, the characters were real, O'Rourke's superior attitude, Pud's intellectual bigotry were evident in the first panel they appeared in. The two heroes split was handled well. GL, who has spent most of his adult life fighting crime, cannot be expected to disobey the law for a dubious cause. There were several little things that made the story run smoothly and beautifully. On page 6, where GL flies over Evergreen City, he does not give us a sermon about the pollution and the filth below him. The picture speaks for itself. Also on page 6, and other places in the story, we can tell that our hero is still trying to prove that we can change things by working within the law. Although he may be starting to realize that laws can be unjust, laws can be immoral, and things are not as simple as they used to be, say, when he picked up and touched his ring to that Green Lantern. The barroom scene was well handled, or to put it a different way, since I seem to be using those two words a lot, it expressed the relationship between white men and red men eloquently in one panel. Page 14, panel 2. Uh, the quotations from the armies of the night were dra dramatically effective, not just a few lines thrown in anywhere to give a phony literary tone to the story. As for the art, Neil Adams is always great, and this issue was no exception. I will not run off at the mouth about it like I did about this story. It was perfect. Alan Ferguson, La Habra, California. And editor's note from Julie Schwartz, well handled in the eye of one beholder, a flop in the eye of another. You'll see for yourself in the next To the Point communique. The next letter. Dear Editor, Issue number 79 of Green Lantern was a flop. Denny O'Neill's plot was terrible. Ulysses Star is a ridiculous name for an Indian, but it was the most original thing in the story. What really bothers me is how GL stopped the big fight by saying nothing will be settled like this, and then started slugging it out with Green Arrow. Needless to say, Adam's art was good. He's better for Green Lantern than Gil Kane because he can portray emotions better. The last panel was very good but I don't especially care to pay 15 cents for one panel. Jimmy Goodale, West Palm Beach, Florida. Editor's note. Before turning back to the raving majority, let's flip to another minority pan. And this time, Neil Adams gets burned too. Next letter. Dear Editor, while glancing at the most recent issue of Green Lantern, I got a vague feeling that was something that something was wrong. I couldn't figure out exactly what, so I carefully looked at my limited but adequate collection of this magazine. Indeed, something was wrong. To put it bluntly, GL is not the type of hero that drives around the country trying to find himself. Neil Adams is not the type of artist that should draw GL, and Denny O'Neill is not the type of writer that should write GL. Why not? In looking over my collection, I found the answer. Though he is equipped with a power ring that enables him to fly and do great things, he is about the most human of the DC heroes. In parentheses, no, not because of his girl troubles either. It's because he's usually facing villains that can beat him to a pulp. They nearly always find a way to make his ring inoperable. Look at GL number 65, 66, 69, or as far back as 32 or 41. These people had GL every time. But he always came through, even if he was beaten, wounded, and weak. In a way, he makes me think of James Bond, who faces torture and death but always finds some loophole he can squeeze through to beat the enemy. This is what GL does every time. And this is why he belongs in space, fighting invincible menaces and coming up victorious. Mike Friedrichs labeled him as an 
interstellar policeman, and that's what he should be portrayed as. Now you have him fighting the type of enemy that Batman could beat without messing his hair. Green Arrow is fine in this role, but not GL. A word about the art. Getting back to what I said about GL being an interstellar policeman, I think he came across so well because Gil Kane drew him. He showed when GL was desperate, when he had found his loophole, and when he knew he would come through. All in the expressions. And the way Gil drew bodies, you knew just looking at the illustrations that GL was in a bad shape after someone knocked him around. Steve Johnson, Virginia Beach, Virginia. No comment from the editor. The next letter. Dear Editor, Green Lantern number 79. Something has happened here. It's called Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, and Dan Atkins, Julius Schwartz. It's called Innovation, Relevance, Risk-Taking, and Artistic Endeavor. It's called Honest and Fearless Work Instead of Hack Garbage. It's called New Respect for an Old Hobby. Ulysses Star is still alive. So now is my interest in comic magazines. I'm 21 years old and a veteran of People's Park and lesser collisions between the cultures. Comic magazines have been something of an atavism in my life. Indeed, were such when I had my first LOC published in the 8th grade. Not even accepting adult characters like Deadman and Enemy Ace. The Green Lantern Green Arrow series has put a whole new perspective on my relationship with the field, and this story, this brilliant, intelligent, such a thing in comics, the mind boggle woggles, utterly, utterly splendid work of art. Yes, I said art. I said art. Has snapped it all in focus. It may win an alley, but is won far more than that from me. It has won my respect. I am gratified, justified, and astonished. Good, good show, people. The wanderings of Jordan, Queen, and Guardian will have a faithful audience in me. If they're ever down Berkeley Way, and I hope they make it someday, have them drop in at Barrington Hall. I can find them a place to crash. It's the least I owe them. If comics ever go, it's with artfulness and glory. And I'm happy. I've read words by Norman Mailer in a comic magazine. I've seen it all. Guy H. Lillian III, Kenner, Louisiana. Comment from the editor. As, veteran fan, as veterans fans know, we've been dubbing MR, imagine, 21 years old now, Lillian, our favorite guy for many years. We're pleased to note that with all the schooling he's absorbed since he started out as a LOCer, that when he waxes enthusiastically now about an issue, he does it with educated polish. Next letter. Dear Editor, relevant is a relative term. The vigilante justice theme that pervaded, that pervaded the last few issues of Green Lantern had no impact on me. A law and order, with justice, addict. I was utterly turned off by author Denny O'Neill's one-sided preachments. Then came number 79. Then I'm a believer again. How can I explain it? Perhaps it was the indication of a deeper perception of moral truth on the part of the author. Perhaps it was a more understanding and past consistent portrayal of the character of Hal Jordan. Perhaps we have all become a bit more thoughtful and tolerant as the echoes of 
Cambodia, Kent State, Fadeaway? I don't have the final answer. In fact, I don't believe in final answers. There's only reflection and opinion. Here is a sample of my own inadequate thought. Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. Which is the real man? He was born without a certain quality, that which is called fear. But nature has a way of balancing. He finds himself torn by inner doubt, even as he faces external menaces unflinchingly. He is not the simple-minded, I'm-only-doing-my-job lawman that the misunderstanding O'Neill first depicted. His faith in the ultimate justice of law and authority arises from deep, intelligent convictions, as well as a personality that can be weakened and destroyed by doubt. If he never seemed to do much for the poor, young, and black, perhaps it was because of an experience early in his career in which he learned that no power-ringed magic can show a man the right path until he is willing to open his own eyes. GL can combat the mechanisms of crime and injustice, but evil itself is forever beyond his grasp. This is me now. Love that line. In Ulysses Star is still alive, O'Neill seemed at last to recognize the essential difference between Green Lantern and Green Arrow. GL will always work through the law, however slow it may work, in the belief that this is the only chance for a symbol for a civilized man. GA will work in the support of his own conscience, law or no law. He has no patience with injustice. The long-awaited fight between them was sadly inevitable, yet perhaps not altogether futile. As the Guardian said, they have learned. What flaws there were in the story, mainly the stereotyped bad guy, were far outweighed by the sense of reality. The world is indeed a picture in shades of gray, to every question. From Vietnam, to race relations, to youth dissidents, there are two sides. Who in all the world is wise enough to claim absolute moral authority? GL has learned. He has shown frustration. He has grown. GA has served his purpose. Let him go. Let the search of GL continue alone. Alone among the stars and dimensions, alone before all the thundering evil and aching injustice that a wide, wide universe can bring forth. And ultimately, Hal Jordan must face himself in Coast City, in the eyes of Carol Ferris. For the soul of America, the free and the fearful, is not to be bound in forest and factory, nor in teeming metropolis and steam ghetto. The soul of America is within us all, and no power ring beam can light the way until the inner eye is open. Scott Dickerson, Los Alamitos, California. Comment from the editor. Inner eyes, third eyes, or whatever eyes, all guaranteed to pop at next issue's Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, Carol Ferris, denouement. Final letter. Dear editor, I would like to take a rather violent exception to the comments made by a fellow Virginian, Lee Brakeiron, in the letter call of GL number 79. First of all, the obliteration of the old Green Lantern was hardly wanton. It was a necessary and natural development of the current plot line. And one of the reasons I did not buy the magazine before issue 76 was that I found Green Lantern to be just as wooden-headed as Denny O'Neill makes him out to be. Although there are those of us who would argue that the best interests of the USA are not served by fighting in Vietnam, but that's a rather moot point, I must agree that the only practical functions of superheroes are to preserve the law and protect citizens. 
The problem is not just the trite one of capturing thugs. However, there is proportionately more crime in America than there ever has been before. There are two ways to go about combating this crime. Put more and more people in jail, which was Green Lantern's previous method, or get to the roots of the thing and find out what is causing Americans to steal, rape, loot, riot, ad, inf ad infinitum. And that is what GL and his companions are trying to do. So you see, Lee Breakiron, by, quote, meddling in the social problems of today, Green Lantern is trying to preserve law and protect the citizens of the U.S. And isn't it more logical to find out why people are rioting than to shoot the rioters? There are at least 30 purely superhero comics being put out regularly today, and the number is continually growing. Practically all of these spend most of their time pursuing solely escapist plots with upstanding crusaders for justice and noble guardians of an entire planet, just as did the old GL. I can hardly think that to ask that one of these 30 involve itself with something vaguely resembling the real world is too much of an imposition on the fantasy lovers of the world. The current issues of GL are more political essays than anything else and are much related to the works of the muckrakers at the turn of the century. But it's, but it's not exactly embarrassing to have such distinguished predecessors as Upton Sinclair and Lincoln Steffens, or even more modern figures such as Norman Mailer. So I wish Julie, Denny, and Neil good luck with their search for America. I only hope that the rest of the U.S. has the good sense to follow you. Quote, and I walked off to look for America, unquote. Paul Simon. Juan Cole, Sterling, Virginia. Oh, <sighs> that was interesting. Um, my favorite, of course, is uh, is the letter from Scott Dickerson, um, where he was talking about how, you know, even he didn't mention the oath, but it's funny that he says evil is forever beyond Hal Jordan's grasp. Uh, so. The, that just made me think for a little bit. So I hope it made you think too. There, it's it's interesting to see so many different... It's, it's why I read these things. It's interesting to see so many people reacting real time to these issues. It's it's obvious. And I'm glad I'm glad Julie decided to, to, to publish some of the negative letters. You know, it's obvious it wasn't for everybody. But... Like the last letter writer, Juan Cole, pointed out, there are 30 at least superhero titles. One of them can be socially relevant, you know? So that's interesting. So I definitely I definitely appreciate these, these letter columns. Um, maybe I appreciate them more than you guys do, but I, I definitely enjoy them. Uh, it's, it's really interesting getting these in, into... And getting even this, this one that references another letter writer... So that's that's funny that these these individuals are sort of having a back and forth, you know. Um, so that's cool. Um, yeah, I just uh, I don't really have much to say about it. Um, like I said, this issue uh, this this issue was more uh, feminism and, and and the feminist side of things, but set in a mythological, atypical type comic book type story. So. I feel unqualified to talk about feminism, uh, and I and I don't have the specific uh, historical reference to give you. 
Uh, there's not much it goes up against in the in terms of the comics code, in terms directly related to the comics code, as it was or as it will be. Um, is, in fact, I think the most interesting thing in here is the letter column uh, for this particular issue. Now, I'm not saying this is a bad issue. The art's fine. The story, while not, you know... Uh, obviously part of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow run from Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams just based on tone and, you know, social relevance. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's still a good comic. Uh, it's just action and there's great words and writing and, you know, it's, Sinestro shows up. So it's, it's a good comic, but it's just, it's not what people think when you think of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series. So that's part of why it's taken so long to get this this episode uh, this episode going. Uh, you know, so much time between this episode and the previous one, because it's just... You know, I do want to do all of these issues. You know, I don't want to skip one just because it's not relevant or I don't have much to say. It's uh, it, it's a chronicling thing for me. It's, it's, it's a task I have set myself. And I definitely want to keep going with it. So I apologize if this one was too short or not as interesting or, or whatever. But I definitely at least hope that the, that the letter column gives you something to think about. Because I think the now, now that we can have the, the letter columns be read uh, in, in these issues as, as I cover them, it's just it's one of the most interesting, most helpful things we could have in understanding the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series um, in terms of the social relevance. Because I can do all the research I want, but, you know, these people were there at the time reading this series as it came out. So getting their reactions is probably the most important thing to have, especially within the context of the time in which they're living because they experience these things live they don't need to research it they hear it on the new they heard it on the news live at the time so that's really interesting to me is to get all this so i don't want to drag on too long i feel like if i go any longer i'll end up doing what i always do and repeat myself multiple different times several different ways so uh before we go I want to let you know where you can find us. So, Lantern Gas can be found at lanterncast.com. We are available on iTunes and Stitcher. If you listen to us on one of those or both, please leave us a positive and or constructive review. We always love to hear those. Uh, if you leave uh, reviews, by the way, please don't hesitate to shoot us an email and let us know we you did write that review and to, uh, to go looking for it because we do not get a notification when we get a new review. And that email address is lanterncast at gmail.com. We are also available on Facebook and Twitter. You can follow or like us on either of those. Um, and, you know, uh, look for us with the hashtag GLCast to find us on all of those. You'll see so much stuff going on uh, on each of those uh, of varying degrees. So that's definitely interesting and new to the Lantern Cast. We're actually on the DC All Access app. Um, if you can find the Lantern Cast on there, give us a follow. Um, I don't it's it's very, very new as of this recording. So I don't know how long we'll keep it up or if it's worth it so but it's you know at the very least it's something new you can look us up on 
And that is uh, about it. Oh, last but not least, if you want to leave us a voicemail, the number is 708-LANTERN. 708-LANTERN, leave us a voicemail and let us know what you think. Look forward to hearing from you guys, either with voicemails or emails. If I forgot anything feedback-wise that was supposed to be mentioned on this episode, I apologize. Feel free to write in and uh, tear me a new one. All right, guys, I will talk to you next time. And uh, until then, I don't know, keep the emerald flame burning. <laughs> Sorry for the absence, guys. I was on vacation for a week and things got a little messy. So uh, hope you uh, enjoyed your little reprieve from the Lantern cast, but we're back. Uh, so enjoy. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>